Welcome to the Alem Talks podcast, where we bring leaders together to talk about Black life, Black leadership, Black learning, and Black lifestyle. We are your ultimate lunch break. Welcome back to Alem Talks. We have got such a treat for you today. Today's episode, I know it's going to be one of your favorites, Your Blackness is an Asset. And we have the one, the only, the celebrated Dr. Jeanette Mitchell in the house. Welcome, Dr. J. Well, thank you, Dorothy and Rick Case. Yes. <laughs> Communication strategist. That's yes. me. I'm so excited to have this one-on-one time with you. And the only thing I'm sad about is that I can't take notes. But every time I get a chance to spend any time with you, I always take notes. But Dr. Jeanette, for the folks who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your story? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Because at this point in my life, I have a long story. (laughs) Basically, I guess I would say, you know, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, actually uh, moved here out of high school and have been in Milwaukee ever since. So consequently, at this point, Milwaukee is my home. I'm one of the kind of people that as a transplant, but people now think I've been here. Right. They think I was born here. Right. Yeah, but I wasn't. But anyway, but I don't let them know that because in Milwaukee, that makes a difference. It does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to just talk about a little bit about my career, what I did. I spent time at the telephone company. I grew up at the Wisconsin Bell Ameritech. It was AT&T. Whatever the time was, I spent 30 years there. And while I was there... Just kind of grew up and learned a lot about how to be a manager, how to be a leader. They are really, really good trainers. So I learned a lot and uh, was able to move myself to the point where I started off as an operator. And by the time I left, in that 30 years, I was uh, the highest ranking African-American female in the company. So it took a little bit to do that. But as I looked at my life, I decided also that it was time for me to get my own degree. I have three children, three daughters single mother, raised them. This is all while telephone companies paying my salaries. They also actually helped me pay for my degree from wow. Alberno College. Okay. Spent time there and really learned a lot. So we can go into detail on that later. And then uh, was on the school board, the Milwaukee school board. I was president of the school board for three years and was on the board for eight years. Spent time at Cardinal Stritch University, started a leadership center there. And the Leadership Center is where I came up with the idea and developed uh, the African-American Leadership Program. And from that, I ended up, after the leadership program, looking at how do we look at system-wide leadership? And that's how we're at ALEM at this point. So that's kind of like a brief, I would say, accelerated view of my life. Right. Accelerated, (laughs) to say the least. So I have so many questions. So when you think about your time at the phone company, right? 30 years, walking away, highest ranking Black woman in the organization. Do you think, looking back, that your Blackness was an asset? Actually, it was. And what I didn't realize when I got there, this is like the 70s when civil rights was just starting. Right. And I really had uh, gone to primarily white schools. And so consequently, I knew how to work the systems. So I had done well. Civil rights movement started happening, and then all of a sudden, being Black was an asset. And so they were looking for people. I was their poster child, okay? I have pictures of me in the newspaper. I have pictures of me speaking for them. I have all those kinds of things, yeah. So yeah, it was an asset for me at that point. 
So I guess, is it safe to say that you have really figured out how to navigate and work in white spaces? Yes, I did. I was, like I said, I went to the high school, all-girl Catholic high school in St. Louis. Uh, and so I pretty much learned how to do that. But working at the telephone company, primarily white company, females were not very high ranking at that point. That's where I actually learned how to navigate the system. And as I look back at it, my driving force was that I wanted to make sure that I made enough money that my daughters would have everything that they wanted and nobody would know they came from a single parent family. That, right. Because back then, wasn't that a thing? Yeah, that was a thing back then. Like today, nobody cares. But back then, it was really a thing. And so I had this driving thing like, okay, I'm going to make enough money. They can go to good schools. They can do whatever. And in order to do that, I had to learn how to network. And it wasn't a term at that time. Right. But when I look back, that's actually what I did. Oftentimes, I would make sure I was at the right parties. Sometimes I was the only African-American, only Black person there. I got to the point where people would recommend my name. I basically got to have the opportunity of selecting at least half of my jobs. In the 30 years I was there, I had 14 different jobs. Wow. I guess so that makes me think of your motivation. You said that there weren't a lot of high-ranking females at the phone company. But then apparently you had this thought that you were going to climb the ranks. Well, yeah, because I had to make money. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Right. Well, and the other thing that, you know, was driving, after I went to Alverno, okay. Alverno really helped me to start to look at this was not about just Jeanette. Okay. They always said, if you are here at Alverno, you need to be giving back to your community. Mm. You need to be giving back to others. And what are you doing? When you die, what will your tombstones say? Will it say you were here and then died? Or will it say you did something? Okay. And so that was how I started to look at how do I really do something? And part of it was working in the community, getting involved. But the other thing also was to open doors. Because I always believed that if I, and this is really true, if I open the door, then other Black people can come in, and which still drives me today. It's to open doors for other Black people. And did your time at Alverno, is that what sparked your love for leadership? Or did it happen long before Alverno? Actually, I think Alverno okay. sparked it. I think that I didn't recognize, I wouldn't have put that name to it, but it did spark because it said you're a woman, you're an Alverno woman, and an Alverno woman makes a difference. And you are leaders. You will go out and you will make a difference. I mean, they talked about that. They you know, had us say that. And so, yeah, I did that. And so it made a difference in how I viewed what I was doing. Okay. So that makes me think of like the definition of leadership, but how would you define leadership? I actually define leadership as influence. Influence of yourself and others towards a goal that is mutually beneficial. Okay. And I always say morally, <laughs> ethically. Okay. That's moral and ethical. I add that in, but yes, so influence. Influence. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing, right, because you have a leadership program that you must have your own leadership practice. What does that look like for you, especially being the founder of this program, AALP, the African American Leadership Program? What does it look like for the founder to have a leadership practice? Well, you almost have to, or you wouldn't create the program. As the founder, I really. The reason why the African-American Leadership Program 
is that as I was getting involved in leadership and I can you know talk about some of the things I was doing, but I always was looking for where is the power in Milwaukee? Mm. Where is it? Very honestly, there's a lot in these political offices that nobody pays any attention to. It really is. I mean, elected to public office, the money that goes through the city, the county, the state. I mean, honestly, it really does make a difference. But that's, uh, I was in a group called Future Milwaukee. I wanted to know what does it take for to run for public office? Because I felt when I looked around and got into these programs, like Future Milwaukee was a community leadership development program. I kind of thought, okay, let me find out about politics. And so that's how I got interested in running for the school board. Because this is kind of funny. They actually, after I finished Future Milwaukee, when we graduated, I said, I'm going to run for public office someday. <laughs> so I went and I started looking, you know, did I want really to be an alderman? Did I want to be a state rep? Did I want to be a senator? What did I want to be? And then I looked at what they made and I looked at what I was making at the telephone company and decided, nope, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, my children, at that point, they were getting to college age. And I realized that I said, well, once they get through school, then I really will do that. And then someone came to me and said, in fact, a woman by the name of Joyce Mallory, who came to me and said, would you like to be school board because you're living in that area and you possibly could win. So that's what I did. That's how I got interested in looking for the power base. And then in the power base, though, has to be people who are willing to what I would call lead, to to influence in a way that makes a difference. Yeah. So when I was doing the Future Milwaukee, I actually interviewed a couple of aldermen and asked them questions about the city and the dollars and all that budgets. They didn't even know the answers. What? Right. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, how come you don't know? Right. That's right. And I thought, I know more than this man. I could do this. I'm an overall woman. I can do this. And so that's why I started realizing that it didn't mean that you had to be up here somewhere to be in public office, that you really just needed to care. What we did find out is that people who do run for public office want to somehow make a difference. Right, okay? right. Makes and, sense. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I thought. And as a leader, I thought that I could make a difference and uh, could leave some type of legacy for that. That's incredible. Plus, I feel like your approach is so strategic. Your ability to think strategically and put all the pieces together. I think that if we could do that more or exhibit that systems thinking or that enterprise thinking, I think it would help us in how we show up at work and beyond. But when you were sitting on the school board, were there other people who looked like you? Yes. At that time, there were a few coming on. But, you know, very honestly, they've been Black people on the school board in Milwaukee for a long time. Now, just because you're Black doesn't mean that's the cause that you push. Oh, right. Right. That makes sense. But they've had, for a long time, Black people on the board. I guess the difference for me was that I came from business. And so I came in with the idea that there should be a bottom line. Right. Makes sense that there should be either money or customers or something. And I thought in the school district, it would be children and parents. Wrong. That was not the case whatsoever. And that disturbed me a lot because there was no bottom line. People were elected and they tried, depending on what you saw as what your constituents wanted and that kind of thing. So I learned a lot being on the Milwaukee School Board about how to handle politics. Okay. And going back to where is the power? Where is the power? Okay. How to do that? And then how to perhaps work with people 
to get something done because on the school board, nobody has to do anything, but we used to work together and get things done. And I found that, that I was good at that. So my guess is you're sitting on the school board. You're an Alverno woman. Leadership has been injected into your system. And so is that when things are starting to percolate to potentially create a program for Black leaders? Or did that come later on down the line? A little bit of both. What happened with me being on the school board is that I was working for the telephone company at the time. And when I became president of the board, I was fortunate enough the company permitted me to use the school board presidency as my job. Wow. Yeah. Is that typical? No. Maybe in those days, because their top initiative for the telephone company at that time for in Wisconsin Bell was Ameritech at the time. It was education. Ah, So okay. that was their top initiative. So if being president of the Milwaukee School Board was there to their advantage. So they told me that the thing that they really wanted me to make sure that whenever I went out, I said I was from the telephone company. But getting involved in that. So I did that and did some work, but still pretty much worked with the board. But after doing that, I got so involved in the community. So when the company started to shift and things started to change, they were now downsizing and all that. And I wasn't going to run for president again. I did that for three years. When I decided to go back in, all of a sudden, when I'm back in full time doing telephone company work, it didn't feel the same anymore because I used to love to go to work and I used to love to figure out how to do things. And now I'm looking at these people are talking about who's going to sit next to the boss, all that. And we got kids dying in the streets. This is not at all important. And I can't get excited. I really need to be doing something more for the community and for Black people. So that's when I looked and found that I could retire. And so that's kind of why I retired to be able to start to look. And as I really start to look at leadership for African-Americans. The program got started because I recognized that as as I was meeting young people, that a lot of things that they were going through were the same things that I went through when I was there. Not Mm. sure about who you are. That. Right. Not sure what you could say. Mm. You want to make sure you say the right thing. Yep. And what are they calling it now? Syndrome? The imposter syndrome? That's what they're calling it now. That wasn't the title then, but it's the same thing. And I recognized that In order for you to be a strong leader, you need to be, first of all, true to yourself. Because I believe that leadership is from the inside out. And so first get right with you. And then as you get right with you, you get right with others. Because I'm guessing with your background, you could have been doing leadership for anybody, white people, everybody, a mixed audience. But there was something in you, I guess, after your community work that made you say, nah, this is a Black thing. Well, it didn't start that way. Okay. I did a leadership center at Cardinal Stritch. Okay. And that was looking at, and what I cared about was women, children, and minorities is what I said. Okay. And so we were doing a lot for people of color. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, Latinos, we had Asian, we had, we were doing leadership programs for everybody. everybody. But as I started to really look at where my values and my passion was, I started to recognize that we were doing a Latino program and they were really doing so well and we were helping with it and they were starting to like each other. They were starting to help each other. And I thought, I wonder if we did an African-American program, if it would work. And so I did. I pulled some people together. I thought we were going to do a nonprofit. It was a Latino nonprofit leadership program. We decided that nonprofit, <laughs> the Black nonprofit leaders said, listen, we all know each other. So let's not do that one. Let's do something broader, cross-sector, business people with nonprofit, entrepreneurs. So that's how ALP came about. And the idea behind it was 
to have people cross sectors so that you get to know each other. You have a nine month experience with each other that hopefully that will start to build trust, start to build uh, collaboration, start to get to know each other better. So that was what it was all about. And also have the opportunity for you for nine months to concentrate on you. Very few people get to do that. That. And as you know, I always have coaching mm-hmm. as part of the program because I use coaching as part of my leadership advancement in each one of the careers that I had. So I wanted everybody to have a coach because that way that person can help to push you beyond your boundaries, can help you to recognize your blind spots. Because if you really want to be a very strong leader and really get to be congruent as a leader, it's seeing things that you don't always see. That. So that's why. So I'm imagining in a city like Milwaukee, you get this idea to start a program just for Black people. I'm guessing there was no resistance at all. No pushback. <laughs> I have a little pushback. It was kind of funny because, in fact, what I did was bring together the human resource people from the various companies because I knew we had we were going to do corporate and nonprofit and so on. So we brought together this group. So I'm pitching this, right? And it's a mixed group. And so they kind of look at me and say, well, we have really strong leadership programs. I think that's what every company would say. Yep. They said, so why would you need an African-American program? Right. Why would you? And so I said, because what we will hear and talk about in our program, you'll never hear because you don't ever get the whole person. And they're like, what, what, what do you mean? And I said, I'm saying to you, when we come together, what we'll do is give them the opportunity to really be who they are and to bring them. And we will work at building their own self-efficacy. And I had worked at the Helen Bader Foundation, which is now Bader Philanthropies. They believed in it. So I was able to start to get some funding to get it started. So our first program was a lot of our friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> I always laugh because Janine Edwards was part of that. And, and she said half of them were all her friends and relatives who went into the first program. But it really, that really was what I did. And people questioned it. Some of the companies who now are our biggest supporters were hmm, going to wait and see. And after the first couple of years, we started getting, they started coming on. I started meeting with different people and it started to grow. So I noticed you said couple of years. So how many years, how many people have gone through this program? Well, like now we have almost 250, I would think, have gone, gone through the program. Wow. We had a commitment when we did this was cross-sector. Okay. So we probably could have made it all corporate. But going back to the initial thing is, how do we bring people cross-sector so that nonprofit people get to meet business people and so on? And many times that has helped tremendously around having people open up their eyes as to how to help each other, how to work with each other, like funding coming from a company for a nonprofit group because they met in ALP, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So how many cohorts have you had? Well, we just we're finishing up our 12th cohort right now. Wow. So I've heard that when you go through AALP, you're going to quit your job, start a business, <laughs> get a promotion. It just seems like something extreme might happen. <laughs> Do you find that to be the case? Sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, it's so interesting because we've had some companies say, they left. <laughs> right. Why yeah. are we sending them if they're going right. to leave us and go to another company or start a business? <laughs> right. But the real thing, what we point out is that what we do is help the participants to see who they are and become congruent about who they are, recognize their values, build their own self-efficacy. And many times it is going back to the company and we say, hey, 
You got to just say who you are and do what you do. Bad. And if that's congruent, if that works for you, great. And if not, maybe you got to do something else. We've had a good many stay and we've had some that left. So consequently, we really do have to look at that a little bit. But the whole thing is that it's for the leader themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think as Black leaders, programs usually aren't fashioned with us in mind. And then the experiences that we have and how to show up at work while still being an authentic, coherent, congruent leader. But I also think that sometimes we just feel like we don't have permission to be ourselves. And AALP just does such a beautiful job about giving us that permission. Like, your Blackness is an asset. (laughs) Right. Right? Right. And you're sitting there with 15 to 18 other people that believe the same thing. Because what we find a lot is like, I'm the only one in my company, or there's only two of us. and, And, oh my gosh, there are other people just like me. And that was the other plus that we found is people getting to know each other. So amazing. Because I do think, too, for newcomers to the city, sometimes the professionals might feel like, man, we're all the Black people. And then you come into AAOP and it's like the unlocking of the Underground Railroad. Now you have access, right? And support. Because access without support is not access. And I think AAOP does an incredible job of not only connecting the cohort members, but outside of the cohort, exposing them to some of the powerhouses in the city. Yes, because part of the program is to bring in other Black leaders. Mm -hmm. And not only Black leaders, because we brought in cross-sector leaders, but we felt that it was important that the exposure and to have people, to have the participants really know again about the power base. That! And so we would bring different people in to talk, to answer questions, and then they would do a project as part of it, learning to work as a team. So all those things that we know that are important in leadership and to help to grow who you are. We call our program a transformational program. Absolutely. Where you release mediocrity. Yes. (laughs) Celebrate excellence. Excellence, right. But people say, well, transformation, what does that mean? That's changing. And I'm saying, no, it's not. It's deeper. Because transformation is like an inner grounding where you really start to really look at where your values are, what it's about. And then that can bring you to a change. Mm. But sometimes you can simply change for something that's here, but it's not as lasting, nor is it as deep. The transformation starts to have you look at your core values and have you start to examine and reflect about what does that really mean to me and how does it make me feel? Ooh, that is juicy. Listen, I can sink my teeth into that. So I hear that the program this year is a little different from previous programs. How's it different and why change it? Yes. Well, why change is because life changes. Okay. And if you want to be a transformational program, you can't not transform. Okay. <laughs> so what we did was that we pulled together the alumni, people who have been through the program, again, cross-sector, and said, okay, so what would you wish you had? What do you think that you would want? In addition to the core of the program, because we were just really very much wanting to keep the core, but we want to know what else. And so one of the things that they talked about is how very specifically to navigate some of the corporate environments. Also, as well as learning a little bit more about how to manage your money, you know, to ask for that raise or to work yourself in the promotion. And so there was a number of things. So what we did in looking at the program is that we partnered with four companies and decided that we'll have them talk about how did you climb the ladder, different parts of leadership for each one of the companies. 
And that really was to kind of bring a little bit more grounding in the, what we would call the business part of leadership. Right. Because that is important as well as the personal part of leadership. So you feel like you could shoot to the moon, but once you get there, you have the gear to stay there. Right. Okay. Right. (laughs) And so isn't it that maybe around 10 years, did AALP decide that it should evolve and be attached to a different entity? Yes. I had one of the key leaders in Milwaukee, a Black leader, say to me, now he said, I really like ALP and it's doing a lot, but you only get like 20 people a year, 50 to 20 people a year. What about all these other people that are out here? Like the officials, what about other nonprofit people? What about, and I thought, oh, what about the systems that are blocking all this? And uh, right. Right. So we started to talk about, is it possible to create a program or a structure or something where somebody would get up every morning and think about African-American leadership? Can we just every morning, twice on Sunday? (laughs) And so that was really the impetus behind it. And then really, and as we talked to people, it was about looking at this systemic report, the approach, looking across the system to to start to create, well, we can do individual programming, but let's look at the systems that somehow make Milwaukee the last in place for a lot of things for Black people. So that was why we brought together 80 people. We thought we'd get 40 to invite. And we, what we were going to do was a three-day planning session. And the idea was, how do we build and sustain African-American leaders in Milwaukee? That was the question. And we said, get 40 people. It'll be good. We got 40 people. And then we kept going and going. We ended up with about 80 people. Gave us three days. There was three days, meaning you had to go all three days or you couldn't come. And we got everyone from what I would consider grass top to grass bottom to grass roots to everybody just in between. We all kind of came together and we spent that three days and we spent a, a whole day looking at race in Milwaukee. And so out of that came the name actually came out of that group, those 80 people, the African American Leadership Alliance. Okay, Milwaukee. So that's how we got the ALM. And the idea is that it was Black people, I mean, we ended up with, I was about 85% African-American, and we had our allies, people who were strong allies for doing the work with us, the Latino, white. Right. What was funny is that many of the, what we consider some of the leaders, white leaders said they had never been in a room with that many African-Americans. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Unless they're visiting an HBCU, <laughs> right? For homecoming. Yeah. <laughs> so when you think about the day or the week or the month that you got the idea to potentially create AALP. And right now, you are interim CEO of ALUM. Did you ever imagine? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a spiritual person, so I believe that God guides the way because I consider this God's idea. Amen. And, and particularly now, I'm at a point in my life where it's a matter of let me just be open and listen and do what's necessary. But we have leaders out there. We have people out there. My role is to open the door again and have people come in and take their places where they can grow and be who they are, fully who they are. Absolutely. So what's Alum focusing on right now? I would say right now we're talking about our whole mission and my vision, I should say, Milwaukee is a global destination where all African-Americans thrive and prosper. Now, that was a dream. 
And that's what they came up with out of Adam. We thought, wow. Wow, wanted, that is big vision right. for sure. <laughs> they wanted to do this by 2025. We thought, oh, sure. <laughs> You've got four years. <laughs> but the whole idea was for us to come up with ways to look at the systems. And so right now we're trying to redefine Milwaukee as a top-ranking city. Okay, for African-Americans, that's the first thing. We want to ensure that African-American leaders choose to live, work here. Choose, live, work, and play. Okay. We're clear about that. And also, key for us is to enhance the thriving and growing pool of diverse and talented African-American leaders who contribute to positive change in Milwaukee. So that's kind of the core. The way we want to do that is through, we have like five different strategies that we're working on. Network building. That makes sense. Connection. For professional advancements. Right. Okay. Building capacity of human resource professionals so that when they're hiring, they open up the door to hire Ooh, more yes. right, people to attract and to help companies to attract and retain because we're getting that all the time. Attract and retain Black people. And the other thing is to kind of mobilize business and organizations to really take a stand for Black people. Now, we just happen to be at a good time where companies want to take a stand. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like a lot of companies here have signed a pledge. Yes, they've signed a pledge, the uh, Region of Choice pledge. In fact, out of the ALUM is where Tim started to really look at it because his board had been interested in their top initiative at that year, again, was looking at how do they get African-American workers and leaders. And so that's where the region of choice really started to look at how to increase the number of African-American Latino managers within the companies. And the companies now have signed up with a pledge. And then our role will be trying to helping to make that a reality. So y'all have a lot to do. Yes. It makes me think of the question around helping white leaders get the insight. I remember you said you will be working with HR professionals so that they can attract and retain Black leaders. Is Alum working with white leaders to help them with that? Well, you know, in many respects, I don't know that we're helping them to do that. What our role really is to try to bring people together. So, for example, with the networking, you're bringing together the white groups with the Black people who are interested in that. And our plan with the HR professionals is to bring them together to really talk about what are you looking at and to really start working within the companies to measure how they're doing and what they're doing. But all of that has to be really nailed down to some core things that we'll be doing with the companies. And we're still kind of working on those kind of things. Makes sense. And I think that it's a big bite to chew, right? And I think it's one of those eating an elephant one bite at a time versus trying to do all the things. But have you been noticing lately that there's a lot of Black flight from Milwaukee? And what's happening there? He's even recently that's been happening a lot, but I'm a little older. I've seen them come back. Okay, so it's like a boomerang effect. <laughs> like a boomerang. All right. And that's part of why we're taking this on. And But I also know that we have to also understand that the young people today are different from the young people like 20 years ago or 15 years ago, that they want to try different things. But it doesn't mean they will come back. The other thing is that if we continue to work with what we have and Milwaukee starts to open itself up, we'll find that other people will want to come to Milwaukee. That's part of the other thing as well. Maybe we won't lose everybody to Chicago, Miami, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, it is an issue. And uh, we're looking at ways to have people want to live here and work and thrive. I mean, that makes sense to me. As all of us listening into the podcast, 
what can we do to help or contribute or what have you so that Alum becomes a household name in Milwaukee or outside of Milwaukee? Right. We are a, what I would consider, a relationship networking organization. So there's going to be opportunities for people to get involved at various levels. Okay. So as we do that, we want to get our name out there a little bit more than it has been. In fact, I thought about we could say ALAM, A-A-L-A-M, means African-American leaders always matter. Yes, I am here for that. Yeah, I think we have to do a better job of getting our word out there, what we're about, and having people get more involved. Like I said, those 80 people that we had, we've tried to keep connected, but we haven't been really successful at that. So we want to do a little bit more around that, but also to spread our wings a little bit to bring other people in so that they care about the same issue and impact us. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, Dr. J. This has been so amazing getting to speak with you, have a little gal pal bonding, hang out, talk all things leadership. But is there anything else that you want to share or lift up about leadership, AALP, or ALUM before we end with our time today? So one of the things I think is really important to leave people with is that to be a leader, you really have to know who you are, because I believe that leadership is from the inside out, which means you have to take time to reflect on your practices. How congruent are you? Is your work aligned with your values? I mean, how are you really living your life? And I think that's really, really important. And the awareness, taking time to become aware of who you are and how you're interacting with those around you, that's really important. And from my perspective, I just think that it's important that AALP continues. It is our flagship program for ALAM. I want ALAM to be, as I said, make Milwaukee a place where African-Americans want to live, work, and prosper. (laughs) Right. I love it. I mean, it's so true. And I think that it's one of those things that will continue to drive how you do your work, right? Because the why is very clear. Yes. I love that when you say why, because that's one of the things we talk about with leaders is what is your why? Because if your why is deep enough, nothing changes what you do. And my why is to have African-Americans leaders, young leaders particularly, understand who they are and to actually take over the city. Yes, time to take over. I'm ready. Listen, I got my bags packed. I'm set up for success. Let's do it. So one last question, I promise. Is your Blackness an asset, Dr. J? It's made my life. (laughs) It really has. So my Blackness is an asset. How do you know? I think we all have to remember that. I know that. Because now when I stand in a room, I want to make sure that they know I'm Black. Mm. There was a time when I tried to pretend like it was okay for them to say, I don't see your color (laughs) in them 60s and 70s, you know, when they were saying that. Right. No, if you don't see my Blackness, then you don't see me. Well, and then that's it. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Oh, my goodness, Dr. J. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I told you all it was going to be good. Thanks for tuning in. You know the requirement. You are required to lead from every seat you sit in. Make sure you share this amazing episode of Alum Talks with another leader as we continue to transform. We'll see y'all soon. Did you enjoy this episode of Alum Talks? Please share this episode with another incredible Black leader. Rate this episode five stars and follow us on social media. 
We are on LinkedIn and Facebook as Alum and Instagram as Alum Milwaukee. Remember, that's A-A-L-A-M-I-L-W-A-U-K-E-E. And if you've got questions or a topic recommendation, email us at info at alummilwaukee.org. Alum, advancing leaders, accelerating change.